Here at TBC Overflow, we try to keep things uh, fairly simple. Um, when you come here on Sundays or Wednesdays, you'll hear a lot of feedback and in the microphone. Thank you. And uh, you'll still hear a lot of feedback. Let me walk over here and get this stool. Are we balanced? There we go. That's how I sound inside my head all the time, by the way. It's just lots of feedback. Um, but on Sunday mornings, you'll hear us talk about the Bible. Our goal here is to, is to point you to Jesus, to point you to a surrendered relationship with Jesus, and to hopefully have you walk in Christ's likeness, growing closer and closer to Him as you grow in your faith. And so um, we don't try to make things real complex here. We try to just feed you spiritually. And that's our hope and our desire. And uh, I'm just going to keep just talking about that one point until we get the microphone fixed. Um, but if you think about our culture as a whole, uh, our culture as a whole is very gimmick-driven. What I mean by that is if you watch commercials, uh, there are gimmicks all the time trying to get you guys to buy stuff, right? Am I right about that? Um, any commercial you watch, uh, they'll take an old product and they will reinvent it or add some new twist to it, and they try to get you to buy into this thing, and it's all marketing, it's all just gimmicks trying to make money, right? Um, I saw an example of this, uh, actually I'll go back about 10 years or so. Um, remember like um, pizza a long time ago? The crust, okay, remember the crust that you just didn't like, left it on your plate? Did you guys do that when you were smaller kids? You just don't like pizza crust? I mean, you, you think about this, it's very strange because... Um, you're leaving bread on your plate, and kids are dying across the world of starvation, but you don't like pizza crust, right? Like, pizza crust, it's just, it's just too much. You don't like all that bread. You want to have some sauce with it, and there's no sauce with it, so you just you don't like it. So they decided to change pizza crust. They decided to, to put, start putting cheese in the pizza crust, right, to make people like you be able to eat it. Um, well, I saw even an upgrade from that this past week. I was watching uh, television, saw a commercial, and now I think Pizza Hut is taking it a step further. They're putting cheese and pepperoni in the pizza crust. Have you guys seen this? Have you seen this? And sausage? And sausage. Okay. So, so now... They're just changing the location of the cheese and the pepperoni in hopes that you'll buy into this pizza. And I'm sitting there going, if your pizza's nasty, I don't care where the stuff's located. I'm not going to eat it anyway, right? But these are gimmicks. These are things that, that people use as gimmicks trying to get you to buy into things. And churches, I think so often, fall into that trap, and we're very susceptible as well. And so I say all that to tell you that we, we do not want to be about gimmicks, here at this church, we want to be about just feeding you the Word of God and feeding you just... There you go. There's a, there's a picture of it. There you go. So, um, you can go have lunch after this. But we don't want to be about gimmicks here at this church. We don't want to be about just trying to sell you something. We want to be about trying to get you to come into a relationship with Christ, surrender your life to Christ, and then grow into um, Christ's likeness as you grow closer and closer to Him in that relationship with him. And so um, the church should never use gimmicks. Our goal here is to not just teach you how to feed, how to, how to learn how to grow spiritually, but also teach you to feed yourself spiritually as well. 
And so this is why we're doing the book of Acts, to show you guys how to study the Bible for yourself and to feed yourselves uh, spiritually. Um, if you're new to the Bible at all, I'll tell you where we've been the last couple of weeks. Um, if you go back to uh, the Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels are the story of, stories of Jesus. Uh, after the Gospels end, Jesus ascends to heaven. Um, if you're a skeptic and a cynic and don't believe it actually happened, um, he is the Son of God. He created this place. He can ascend to heaven. Uh, then the book of Acts comes along. The book of Acts is the story of the church. Okay? And so um, the book of Acts is, is the most complete story of the early church that we have in Scripture. Uh, here's the context of what's going on in the, in the stories here. Uh, first of all, the apostles are doing many miracles. So the people that follow Jesus are doing miracles now. They're carrying on the exact same work that Christ himself was doing while he was on earth. The church is growing like crazy. It goes from 120 people to 3,000 people to now 5,000 people plus in a matter of a short span. Here's what's happening in this church, this new church. People are selling their possessions. They're selling their homes. They're selling land that they own. And they're taking that money from those sales, and they're bringing it to the church, and they're saying, here. They're giving it to the church, and they're saying, here, give this to the poor. Can can you imagine, just think about this, can you imagine in today's day and age, you go home today, your parents are packing up boxes, and you're like, what's going on? And they're like, well, we sold the house. Well, what are you talking about, you sold the house? Yeah, we're going to sell the house. And we're going to give all that money to the poor. And you're like, where are we going to live? And they're like, with the poor, right? And so, can you imagine this actually happening in your life, where your parents sell your house, they sell land that you own, and all this money that you thought was coming to you as an inheritance one day is given to the poor. This is happening in the church because these people were so changed by Jesus that their possessions became like nothing to them. It was just money. It's just land. They're just possessions. And so things are going really well for the early church. It's growing like crazy. Everything is going so well until chapter 5, which is where we are today. Chapter 5 is this crazy story that it's hard to wrap your mind around. I'm going to go and give you a summary first, then we'll read together what actually happened here. There are these two people. They're a married couple. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. And here's what they do. They see all these people bringing their money to the church and giving it to the poor. And so when that happens, they see um, praise. They see these people glorified. They see people saying, hey, thank you so much for the money you gave to the poor. Um, we, We fed and clothe the needy with that money. And so they see people getting all this praise from giving their money to the poor. So they think to themselves, hey, I want that praise. I want that recognition. And so what they do is, they go sell some land and take just part of the money to the church and give it to the church. Now, nothing wrong with just giving part of the money to the church. That's not, there was no rule saying you've got to give everything that you get from the land or whatever you're, you're selling to the church. So there was no rule about that um, in the early church. But, here's what they did. They made everyone think they were giving all the money they had for the land to the church. 
So these people wanted the recognition without making the sacrifice. Okay, you get that? They wanted the recognition without making the sacrifice. And this is the essence of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is wanting the recognition without making the sacrifice. Write that down. Hypocrisy is wanting the recognition without making the sacrifice. So look at Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, fight, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So what in the world do we do with this story? I mean, these two people come and give money to the church, right? And yet, they... What happens? Because they deceive people into thinking that they're getting more than they're actually giving, God strikes them both dead. Seems like pretty harsh consequences, doesn't it? This is not the passage you frame on your living room wall, is it? Like, you don't frame that passage on a coffee mug or a, the wall of your house, do you? So do your first uh, three questions at your tables. Two questions, one, two, three, for discussion. Go ahead and discuss. I'm going to start playing on the tables that uh, you're probably done with your discussion. So uh, let's talk about this passage. We'll have two more sets of questions for you in just a moment. Let's talk about, let's kind of walk through this passage together. Anthony, go ahead and put up on the screen uh, just the first part of the passage. We're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse. So the name, listen up. The name Ananias, catch this. Listen up, guys. The name Ananias means God is gracious. Do you guys catch the irony there? The name Ananias means God is gracious. Now, if your name means God is gracious, see back then, people knew what their names actually meant. How many of you guys know what your name means? Alright, don't tell us. I don't really care, but I'm just asking. My name means princess. That's what the girls will say. Not my name, saying it's what the girls might say, okay? Uh, but back then, people 
actually knew what their name meant. Many were named for certain reasons. So, his name means God is gracious. So, if, you, if your name means God is gracious, you're probably going to live a little bit entitled. You're probably going to live a little bit, hey, God's not going to judge me. God's not going to bring consequences to me. We serve a God of grace. My name means God is gracious. So, he probably lived a little bit entitled in his life. Now, some of us in this room are doing the exact same thing right now. I would guess in a room this size, there's somebody somewhere in this room who's living what I would say is probably a bit of an entitled life spiritually. You think you're living in certain ways that you know are opposite of what Christ wants you to live in. And you're living this entitlement and you're saying to yourself, God's gracious. He's not going to give me consequences. He's not going to judge me. I'm a Christian. I'm covered by His grace. Therefore, God's not ever going to do anything to let me see the consequences for my sin. And so I would guess that a room this size, that there's someone right now living this way. This sense of entitlement, this sense of, hey, I deserve this. Um, Whatever you're doing in your life that that is, is against the will of God, that you think that God just is okay with it, God's going to show you grace in that area, therefore, you're going to keep living that way. Sapphira, his wife, has full knowledge. If you look in uh, the first two verses, the text says she has full knowledge of the plan. So he's got this plan. And, and, she, and she has full knowledge of what he's going to do. They've actually schemed together. He probably came to her and said, hey, I have this idea on how we can get recognition get all the praise everyone else is going to get, but we're going to keep part of the money. They're going to think we're giving more than we really are. We'll keep the money, we're going to have the best of both worlds, and we're going to do this plan, and you can help me with this. And so we would call Sapphira an enabler in the relational sense. We would call her someone who is enabling her husband's sin. This is a trap that many women fall into. Whether it's in the earlier girlfriend stage, boyfriend stage of a relationship, or the later marriage stage of a relationship, many women fall into the trap of becoming an enabler for a sinful man who's not wanting to walk with Christ. And lots of women do this because of one reason, fear of being alone. There are many women that I've seen even come through this ministry who are so afraid of being alone, they will date a complete loser. Spiritually, I'm referring to. I'm not referring to like the others. I'm referring to spiritually being a complete loser because they don't want to be alone. And I would tell you, if you're someone who's stuck in that place of you feel like you're enabling someone else's sin in the way that Sapphira's enabling Ananias' sin, there's one thing worse than being alone, and it's being in a bad relationship. It's being in an unhealthy Marriage or an unhealthy dating relationship. That's the one thing that's way worse than being single, being alone. And so if you're someone who feels like you're being pulled into a relationship and it's an enablement type situation where this guy's not walking with Christ, he's leading you into sin, leading you away from Christ, get out. Get out. And in the same way that many women are drawn into an enablement relationship, there are many men who like to exploit that aspect 
of women. They like to exploit that aspect of women feeling like they don't want to be alone, therefore they will make concessions, they will make compromises in the relationship because they want to keep the relationship intact, they want to keep the peace. And so there are many guys who don't have any desire to walk with Christ who exploit women who are weaker that will buy into their schemes, buy into their sin in the same way that Sapphira did with Ananias and the guys know they can get away with it. You see, the, the point of a relationship is for the two people to make them more and more like Christ, to sharpen each other towards Christ's likeness. And if you're in a relationship right now, and that is not happening in the relationship, then you are enabling each other's sin in the same way that Sapphira and Ananias enable each other's sin. We read on this passage, we see that because of this enablement relationship going on in this deal, both people are held guilty, both people are held responsible. And so if you're someone in this kind of relationship, God is going to hold both people responsible for whatever is happening in that relationship, not just one or the other. So Ananias brings the money to uh, the disciples, I'm sure expecting praise. He's played out this scenario in his mind, I'm sure, many times before. I'll bring the money to the disciples. I will turn to the crowd and lift my hands. They will all love me. They will all sing my praise. They'll they'll shout my name, Ananias. I'm sure just expecting this reaction from the early church. In verse 3 and 4, we see that uh, we don't quite know how Peter knows about this sin. The text doesn't tell us. It just says that Peter calls this guy out to his face in front of everyone and says God's going to strike him dead. That's exactly what happens. We don't know how Peter knows this information except that the Spirit must have told him. Now this is interesting because the Spirit has this way of impressing upon people certain things about other people. That's called the gift of discernment or prophecy. So if you've had someone come to you and say something like, hey, I had this... uh, this feeling or this sick gut feeling that you were somewhere you shouldn't have been last night and they're looking at you funny and you're going, how would you know about that? Right? That's called the gift of discernment. That's called the gift of discernment. Uh, my wife has this gift, actually. Um, it's kind of funny. We, we tell stories about this all the time. But when she was, uh, um, when she and I were, had just met, and her brother, uh, who's really close to me now, he's walking with God now, thank God. But whenever he, he and I first met, he was not walking with God. He was uh, into drugs and all kinds of stuff when I first met him. And, um, and so when, they first, uh, when I first met him, uh, she would have these moments where she would like, wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I need to pray for Colin. I need to pray for him. And she'd pray for him. Next day she'd be like, hey, what were you doing last night? And he'd be like, how do you know these things? You know? and, and so she has this gift of discernment. She knows what all y'all been doing in here, you know. I'm serious. So, so she has this gift. And for the person that's hearing it, it's a curse. But for her, it's a gift. And so this is kind of what Peter has. Peter has this gift of discernment. God has told him what is happening in this guy's situation. And he's able to uh, call this guy out in front of everyone because of it. The text also says, look in uh, verses 3 and 4. It says, you have not lied to men, but to God. That is a profound statement because a lie to man is never just a lie to man. 
It's also a lie to God. In fact, Peter even says, you have not lied to men, but you've lied to God. He's going straight to the person that you have offended in this sin. He says, you have lied to God. Any sin against man is a sin against God. And here's the truth I want you guys to get from this. No matter how hard you try, you, you cannot lie to God. You can't lie to God. You can lie to me. You can lie to your friends. You can live a lie, but you cannot lie to God. And here, here's the reality. He's the only one who matters, right? I mean, if you trick me, okay, what, what real harm is done? Yeah, I'm offended or I, I feel hurt by that. Trick your friends, same thing. But you cannot lie to God. You, you can't lie to God. He knows, obviously, what you're doing, when you're doing it. He, if you're coming here pretending to be a certain kind of person and you're not, you're, not, you're fooling us. But ultimately, God's the one that matters, right? God's the one that ultimately matters. And, and you can't fool Him. You can't lie to God. God knows the truth about where we are with Him. God is that ultimate authority. Here, here's the deal. When, when you fool us here, it, here's what it gains you. If you fake us out, if you fool us here, here's what it gains you. It gains you fake friends, right? See, Ananias is trying to gain friends by being fake. If you're trying to gain friends by being fake, then the friendships you gain from that are as fake as you are. The friendships that you gain from being fake are as fake as you are. Because friendship is based on truth. Friendships have to be based on honesty and truth. If there's dishonesty in there, then the the relationship itself is dishonest, is it not? The friendship itself is dishonest. So, So friendships, being fake only gains you fake friends. Your friendships are as real as you are. Because friendships have to be based on truth and the reality of things. Jesus has a word for this kind of person. He calls them hypocrites. This word hypocrite is the same kind of word that you would use for someone who is an actor in a play. Someone who wears a mask. Someone who plays a part. But somewhere else there's someone different. Jesus uses the word hypocrite to talk about this kind of person. Here, here's the way this thing plays out, I think, in, uh, especially in um, the male-female relationship. Have you ever known a guy to act more spiritual than he really is, to get with a certain girl. This happens a lot, actually. Especially, it seems to happen more with, with guys being the ones that are deceptive and the girls kind of falling for it. But have you ever seen a guy know, know a girl, she values her walk with Christ, and he kind of plays the part, he plays that role, and says all the right things, he busts out the guitar, singing like Kumbaya and stuff like that, and just, he, he knows how to play the part, of being spiritual just enough so the girl can buy in and be in a relationship with him. Only later on to find out that he's a total fake. At that point, though, she's hooked in, doesn't know what to do, and it's just bad news from there. This happens a lot, I think, in, in those kinds of relationships. In verse 6, we see this guy doesn't even get a funeral. They literally just take this guy outside, bury him. They don't even tell his wife. How mean is that? They just take him outside, dig a hole, put him in it, cover it over. 
come back inside, and then his, his wife shows up. And she still doesn't know that this guy's even dead. And so Peter gives her a chance to admit her sin. She doesn't. And then God strikes her dead there on the spot as well. In verse 9, look at verse 9. It says, uh, I'll go ahead and read it real quick. Verse 9. Uh, you can go back to the next slide. Yeah, you had it right. It says, Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? I want to tell you what it means to uh, test the Spirit. This is really important. You have to get this. Testing the Spirit is to see how much you can get away with before He judges. Testing the Spirit is to see how much you can get away with before He judges. It is to push His justice to the limit. I'll give you an example of this, and I apologize in advance. I know I tell a lot of stories about my kids, or at least one of my kids. Uh, Sienna's not really of age to tell stories of yet. She's just really cute and, and fun. But um, Landon, however, is a different story. And I love that kid. He's a great kid. I love that kid to death. But what's so funny about him is like he shows me my own sin. Because I'll see things and I'll be like, how can you do that? I'm like, wait, I did that to God. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and so um, uh, he does this with me. He likes to push me to the limit on things. Okay, So if I say, hey, uh, hey, don't touch that over there, whatever that thing is. Hey, don't touch that. This is what he does. I'm like, Landon, what are you doing? He's like, I'm not touching it. I'm going, well, why are you even pretending like you're about to? He's like, and he gets really, really close to it, right? He's pushing my justice to the limit. In fact, uh, recently, um, he's learned how to, of course, use a fork and spoon on his own. And he's really growing. Leaps and bounds is great. And uh, one night, he's like eating dinner with me, eating with his hands like a barbarian. Okay, just, you know, and I'm like, use your fork and your spoon. Why are you using your, your hands like that? You, don't use your hands, just use your fork and your spoon. And this is his response. He goes, he goes, Daddy, I'm not using my hands. I'm using my fingers. And I'm like, you are so creative. I would never have thought of that. But this is what he does. I mean, he... He has ways of justifying. He has ways of getting around rules and things we say for him. He's not even four years old yet. And he's creative. He's creative at sin, right? But this is just what you and I do with God. We have ways of justifying things. We have ways of saying to God, Okay, God, I know that you say sex before marriage is wrong, but you didn't say I couldn't do this. Or you didn't say I couldn't do that. Or I know that... um, that, uh, you know, I shouldn't get drunk. I know I'm underage, but what's the big deal? I'm going to go drink anyway, right? There are certain ways that we, we bend things. There are certain ways that we creatively find ways to sin against God. And we think God's just going to deal with it. We think God's just going to let us have our way. We think that God's justice is never going to come to fruition. We think our sin is not going to carry with it consequences, even here on this earth. You think that your life is covered by grace to the point where nothing's ever going to happen to you because of your sin. And so we live this entitled life in the same way that Ananias lived his life. And 
I would guess that someone in this room, even right now, you're, you're testing the Spirit of God. You are testing the Spirit of God. You are pushing His justice to the limit. You are basically saying to Him, hey, watch me do this, and I know you're not going to punish me for it. I know you're not going to do that, God, because your grace is God. You're, you're, you're full of grace. And so you are pushing God's grace to the limit. You're pushing His justice to the limit. Some of you in this room right now, you think God's grace is a ticket to sin, not a ticket to freedom from sin. You think God's grace is like a, a free, free pass to sin. I can do this, God will not punish me, instead of a, a ticket to freedom from sin. The idea of grace, guys, I want you to get this. The idea of grace is to bring you out of sin, to set you free from sin. It's not a ticket to do more of that and enslave yourself further. It's a ticket to get free from those things that bind you. I want you guys to go ahead and do questions uh, four through six. Go ahead and discuss those questions. Okay, we're going to have some more discussion at the very end, so we'll make sure we have time for that as well. So let's, let's talk about this for just a moment. Whenever you read this story, the question that might pop into your mind is this question. How can a gracious God strike two people dead when they gave their money to the church? Right? I mean, you can imagine someone up there in the main auditorium or down here in the outback, if somebody busts out like a $100 bill and says they're trying to show off on how much they're giving, we, we just can't imagine God saying, nope, your motives are bad, and they're gone. Right? We just can't imagine that actually happening. We'd be like, God, seriously? Then you should probably kill me too. And so there's this question that we're going to have after reading the story. How can a, a good, gracious God strike two people dead when they actually gave their money to the church How can he be full of grace? Here's how we know. Because he doesn't do the same thing to us. Here's how you know God is gracious. Because he lets me and you live. That's how we know he's gracious. We can sit there all day and ask the question, why did God strike them dead? But we should be asking the question, why does he allow me to live? Because I have done, I think, what is far worse than what they have done in this story. And yet God lets me live. God lets you live. And so what I think the story is, this is just one moment in history where God has chosen to simply give someone in that moment what they deserve. And it strikes us as, wait a minute, God, what are you doing? How can you do this this horrible thing to these two people? And yet what we see, though, from it is that Every other time that you and I sin and God doesn't do this is an act of grace. That's all we can say. Right now, this moment, God could strike any one of us dead right now and he'd be totally justified to do it. He would be justified to do it. As hard as that is to hear and as hard as it is for me to say about myself, he'd be justified to do it Right here, right now, on this stage with me. But because he does not, it's a show of his grace. 
It's a sober's grace. And so the question is, if you think about this, if you can imagine if God did this just in your daily life, like you're sitting in class at school and there's like lightning all around. I mean, your friends are dying left and right because of their sin. This would be a crazy scene. But God holds his judgment back because he's a God of grace. He is a God of grace. And so the question is, why did God actually do this? Here's why he did this. There are some people that I read this past week who said that Ananias and Sapphira may have been Christians. But God just may have, in this one instance, taken hypocrisy so seriously, he decided to squelch it from the early church. Can you imagine that? If, if they were Christians, I don't know if they were or not, but if they were real true Christians that were just living a little life of sin and hypocrisy, how does that change how we view hypocrisy and sin in our lives? I know the view that you might have is, oh, they must not have been Christians, and God just kind of got rid of them. But think about that. If they were Christians, and God took them out of the, the early church, because he wanted the early church to remain so pure and undefiled from sin, that he took out the, the, the first two hypocrites in that church. How does that change the way we see hypocrisy in our context, in our community? It's pretty intense. So God did this, I think, to be a reminder to people in that community, this is how serious God takes sin. This is how serious he takes hypocrisy. And so Ananias' name means God is gracious because he is. He's gracious. He lets me and you live when we could easily deserve instant death, just like Ananias and Sapphira. I want to go over two points and kind of apply this more to us, and we'll get into some more discussion here at the end. Here's the first point. You can write this down. Sin never comes in individually wrapped packages. What I mean by that is sin is never isolated. So if someone is committing a certain kind of sin, it's never just isolated sin. It's never just the thing on the surface that you think it is. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. In this story, these two people, the external sin was what? What did they do? Okay, it was lying. So, why did they lie? They wanted what? They wanted praise, recognition. Now, why did they want praise and recognition? What sin might be behind that? Pride. So, any sin you can link back to heart sins that are really at the root of your external sins. So, externally they lied, but they lied because they wanted praise... They wanted praise because they were prideful in their heart. If, if you think of yourself, the reason why you are doing certain things externally, it's never just individually wrapped package of sin. It's always interconnected, other reasons. The root of it is usually pride. And so sin never just comes by itself in a little package by itself. And so here's what that means for us. When you're confessing your sin to God, you, you, you don't need to just confess the sin that you committed externally, but you need to examine your heart, look deep within your heart, and say, okay, what sins is God wanting me to be, have revealed right now so I can confess all my sin to Him? 
not just your external sins, but your other sins as well. So if you're in a relationship with someone right now, you're dating, things are getting uh, too physical, it's never just the sin of lust at work there. There's also the sin of taking the plan for your life into your own hands, thinking that God is not a good God, thinking that God is holding out on you. There are so many other sins intertwined with that sin that you need to confess and admit to God before you can change. The second point is this. Sometimes the greatest evil is wrapped in good works. Sometimes the greatest evil is wrapped in good works. Some of the best lies are wrapped in partial truth. If Satan wants to get you to commit certain kinds of evil, he's usually going to come to Christians and make you think there's a good motive behind it. Right? Oh, I'm giving money to the church. This is a good thing. But there's still evil wickedness inside their heart trying to get praise and recognition from the body of Christ. Or in your case, Satan will trick you into thinking that you're doing a certain thing because for a good motive. All the while, your heart's wicked and evil and separated from God. And that's really what's at work inside of your heart. And so here's what I want to leave you with before you do more discussion is, if you're coming here on Sundays and Wednesdays and you're someone that's just pretending, you're playing the part of this walking with Christ Christian, but you have no real heart desire to walk with Christ and to be in a relationship with Christ, if you're someone who's pretending, I hope this story shakes you out of your apathy. I hope this story shakes you to your core where you can say, I know that God does not jack around. God does not mess around. Now, it might look like that right now, but God takes sin seriously. And before you start to think that I'm judging you or judging you unfairly, I'm not trying to judge you or condemn you. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says. And my warning to you, it's just like last week, my my warning to you this week is... There's two ways that God deals with sin, and He will deal with sin. There's two ways He deals with sin. The first one is, He took out judgment on His own Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for you and I. You put your faith in that, you believe that for salvation, and you're covered by His grace. But if you do not truly put your faith in Christ, in His finished work on the cross, He will then take His judgment for your sin out on you for eternity after you die. That is the reality. That's what Scripture tells us. So you have a decision that you have to make. Stop pretending. Stop being a person who pretends to be someone that you're not. I know it's late, so if you have to leave, I know you've got to get out of here. But if you can stay and, and do the last two questions, go ahead and do that. And uh, once you're done, you can just dismiss tables once you're finished discussion.